Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. To our Lord in spirit, now we get to the truth, the Word of God. Turn to Acts chapter 2, and we are not in the specific book today. We're going to be in several books today. We will start uh, our new book as we study through the scriptures uh, in the book of Galatians. Probably depends on what happens today, Um, but I'm not very confident I'll finish the whole study today. So we may have to come next Sunday. Disappointing, I know. Uh, But we... uh, believe the Lord is wanting us to teach on the book of Galatians, so we will be on Galatians as soon as we're done with this study. Uh, this is what I call burden preaching, burden preaching, meaning that I don't necessarily have a, a, a how would I call it, I'm not going to go through a book to teach today, the entire book of it like we normally do. It's something that the Lord from time to time lays on our hearts as, as elders, but also uh, lays on my heart as, a, as, a, as a, a preacher and teacher that these are things that we need to cover and understand. And one of the things that has been a burden to me, have been a burden to me, is understanding how to become a Christian. How to become a Christian. And um, it, it's a question that you would say, well, aren't we Christians, all of us? Um, I, I certainly hope and I certainly pray that that is true. But I also don't want to take anything for granted, ever. And I understand that in our ecclesiological society, meaning that uh, in our society, it's church, there's a lot of churchianity. I would never want to confuse that with real Christianity, what the scripture holds. My son asked me one day, Dad, I did so many churches, so many different things. I said, which one's real? From a little kid. I was like, man, the Lord really speaks through kids sometimes. And I had explained to him, I said, look, we don't make up truth. It's not like I come up here and I say, this is the truth because I say so. Or a church can't come up with the truth and say, this is the truth because the church says so. The truth has to be revealed to us by God, through the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we as recipients, recipients of that truth, have to abide by it and have to live according to it. And I would say that the one that's the true church, true Christianity, is the one that holds closest to the scriptures. Um, no matter what you call it on the front door or not call it on the front door, what is the closest to the original intent of God in the Bible? And we have one book that explains it very well, and it's the book of Acts. That's why I had you turn to Acts. Acts, specifically Acts chapter 2, we're going to be in there for a little bit today, explaining the foundation, how to become a Christian, and I call it foundations to freedom, because so many times people are come to church, they, they assume things, they believe certain things, and a lot of times it's denominational teaching, meaning that because the denomination holds to this, then everybody believes that. Because the denomination believes this or the pastor likes that idea, then they have to believe that. And many times they've learned part of the truth or some part of the truth or maybe a lot of the truth, but maybe not the full aspect of 
the truth. And, and I'm not here to make a definitive statement because I say so is true. I'm just going to read the Bible just like you would read the Bible. And we have to come to a conclusion that God is telling us the truth in his word. And we have to realize that there is a foundation that we have to build as Christians. No man can build on any other foundation, the scripture says, except for Jesus. It's the one that he, God gave us the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And we're also told that the apostles' teachings, the apostles' doctrine, is what we built on as well. As Christians, our faith, according to the New Testament, is apostolic, right? Apostolic, meaning that it comes from what the apostles wrote, what the apostles wrote. Not from church fathers, not patristic, not Augustinian, nothing of that sort. It has to come from what Peter, James, and John, and Paul wrote because they're the ones who knew Jesus, met Jesus, saw him risen, were inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen the scriptures, the doctrine. Therefore, our faith needs to be built on the doctrine of the apostles, and that's what the New Testament teaches. So building a good foundation, how to become a Christian. So this is so simple. I'm going to tune out today and, 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 and not pay attention until about communion time. Well, don't do that because this can help you in two ways. One, it'll solidify your faith. It'll bring up things that maybe you've never dealt with before. Maybe we have been holding on to denominational thinking. But also, it can help you lead others to Christ. And that's my prayer, that after that has been settled in your own heart, you can go on to share with somebody and give them a proper understanding of what is it to become a Christian? How do I become a Christian? What does the New Testament say about that? And there's been a lot of confusion because, like I said, we live in an ecclesiological society, meaning that there's a lot of religious talk and thinking. And we might have picked some of that up along the way, depending on where we went and what we did. And we assumed it was true, Trusted the guy who told me that. But maybe I've never looked at it. What does the Bible say? What does the New Testament say? We're primarily going to deal with the New Testament. Uh, the, the, our faith comes from the Old Testament. It's rooted in the Old Testament, but is fully displayed in the New Testament. So we're going to spend time in the New Testament this week and next week on how to become a Christian and laying out a firm foundation based on the book of Acts and what it says. And um, we're not going to... Um, you know, rely on a book or on a separate book or on a separate notes or anything like that. We're just going to rely on what the Scripture says and, and see if that makes sense to us. And, and, and I, I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit that God will reveal things to us that are new, that are true, that are great, and even equip us to make us more soul winners. Soul winners. He who wins souls is wise, the Scripture says. He who wins souls is wise. So let's pray and ask the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I need the Holy Spirit to teach as much as to hear. So, Lord, we ask you today in faith, believing that you will reveal more light to us, more truth to us as we read your word. We ask you for grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes to the truth. Give us more understanding of it today. Help us to apply it to our lives so that we could become more like you, which is, Lord, your aim for all of us, to become like Jesus. Please, Lord, draw us near by your spirit. Keep us close, Lord God. And may we have a heart, Lord God, to seek after you, continually crying out to you, Lord, for more of your spirit and more of your word. 
Make it real to us today, Lord God, and help us as we understand your word to go out and win souls, to go out and give people that need to hear and want to hear uh, a firm foundation of how to become a Christian, how to follow Jesus. Lord, we ask these things in his name. Amen. Building a firm foundation. I suppose you can build anything, and without a firm foundation, you may build something like this. Nice to look at, interesting to look at, but perhaps won't last that much longer. <laughs> perhaps it won't last a long time. Tower of Pisa. That's what it could look like if we don't have a firm foundation. But laying down a firm foundation, of course, it's important. Any building of any sort needs a foundation. You guys are in construction, you guys that know this stuff very well, uh, understand that it's the primary thing that we need to start first. In fact, it takes quite a long time before anything goes up. A foundation has to be laid. And it seems like sometimes in building projects, they spend so much time on the foundation. It seems like the building's never going to go up. But it's, they're digging deep. The foundation's going in. It's going to take a little bit of time. But you know what? We're going to have a good building. And in the book of Acts, we're given something very interesting. It is the birth of the church. It is the birth of the church, although the church, in a sense, has its foundations in the Old Testament. This is the, 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 the New Testament church is born in the book of Acts. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, look at verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, when they had come, they were all together in one place. Who were they? The 120 whom had gathered together, whom the Lord said, go to Jerusalem and tarry, or wait there, until you do something very interesting. Something's going to happen that's very interesting. You're going to receive power, and you're going to be my witnesses. And this power, it comes from God, and it's described in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you will receive power when you go to Jerusalem and you wait when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. So they had to wait and receive, and these are very critical words. I'm not going to be in semantics today, but these are important things to remember, things that we say about the gospel, about salvation, about faith, repentance, belief, receiving. These are New Testament terms. I am going to try, oof, this is hard, to refrain from using euphemisms. You know what euphemisms are? Okay, no euphemisms. Okay, euphemisms like something we assume something is, and we give it a, a, a term. We think that's what it is. Well, everybody knows what that is, right? And we just, we just say something that we think everybody would understand, or we think that's what the uh, definition is. A euphemism. It's just something to go by. And I'm going to refrain from using euphemisms, or assume that you know what I mean, uh, because of what we always use. Okay, so um, I am going to try to refrain from saying you're going to receive Jesus in your heart. That's a euphemism. The New Testament doesn't say that. I know, it's a shock. It doesn't say that. It says something different, but it's related to it. We, we say we receive Jesus in our heart. To re we mean something by it. It means we became a Christian. We became born again. That's a euphemism. I'll refrain from saying euphemisms and stick to New Testament term because then you can go back and check it and see if I'm crazy or not. See, because if I say something, a euphemism, you go, oh, I know what he means by that. And you may not know what I mean by it because it's a euphemism. But if I tell you what the New Testament says, you can go back and say, oh, that's what it says. That's what it means. It's right there. 
Get the point? Okay, so I'm going to refrain from that because it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard because we live in a society that uses those terms. And it's so easy to use. And we assume we know what it means, but maybe we never looked at it. All right, let's continue. So how do we start in the book of Acts? Well, chapter 2 tells us that this was the day of Pentecost. And if you, this is not going to be a study on Pentecost. We'll leave that for another day. But it is the feast that the Jewish people had where they celebrated 50 days after Passover. After the, the feast of Passover, they counted 50 days, and you got to Penta, 50, cost. It is actually the Feast of Weeks. It's in the Old Testament. It's called Feast of Weeks. But for our sake and our, I guess, our, our uh, culturally how we call it and, and biblically what they call it in the New Testament, it is called the uh, Pentecost, meaning 50, 50 days after you count 50 days, 49 plus 1, literally, what it says in the Old Testament. You get to Pentecost. And they celebrated the fact that they would wave two loaves of bread. The priest would weigh two loaves of unleavened bread before the Lord, and he would bring it as an offering to the Lord. It was a feast of harvest. It was a feast of uh, uh, bringing first fruits to the Lord. There was a, um, a, a beautiful feast of thanking the Lord for the harvest that was coming. And that's a very important foreshadow because in the New Testament, the harvest in the New Testament doesn't mean just grains and corn. It actually is an analogy for people. Great harvest was going to come, and boy, did that come in Acts chapter 2. So how do I become a Christian? What does the New Testament say about it? We, the reason we do the book of Acts, and it's, it's, it's an important thing to remember, in the Gospels, we can say, why don't we start in the Gospels? Well, most of the gospel, most of the Gospels uh, tell us the story, the foundation of the New Testament, of course, but tell us what happened to Jesus and most of it covers his life and ministry. And then at the end of the gospel, his death, his resurrection, and the Great Commission. So if we're going to study what does it mean to be a Christian, then we have to study something that happened after the gospels because most of the gospels tell us what happened before his death and resurrection. What happened after that? How do they communicate now the message of the gospel the message of Jesus, how do they communicate that after the death and resurrection? And that's important because we live on that side of the aisle now. Right? We live on the side after the death and resurrection. Right? So I'll give you one example. Before the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? baptism, baptism before the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's different than the baptism after the death and resurrection of Jesus. You guys nod in your head because you, you get the point. The baptism before Jesus, baptism of John, was unto repentance, but he said there's another one coming, right? And then in the New Testament, I mean in the book of Acts, it appears again, baptism appears again, but this time it is in the name of Jesus. And you're baptized into his death and resurrection. You see the point? They could not have baptized people in the Gospels early on because Jesus had not yet been crucified or resurrected. Is that simple enough? Okay. Another one would be, um, well, there's several ones, but uh, another one would be the, the Great Commission, of course. They could not have gone out and told people about the death and resurrection of Jesus. It, hadn't, it's, it didn't happen yet. Uh, receiving the Spirit. It's very clear in the Gospels that they could not receive the Spirit in a sense of what it is in the book of Acts, 
Because Jesus said, because he was not yet glorified. The Spirit was not poured out because he was not yet glorified. So you see the difference before the death and resurrection of Jesus, after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, we're not going to go to the epistles either, or the book of Revelation. Why? Because that happened much later, sometime later, and it was written to Christians, people that were already Christians. So we don't even know, we need to go back a little bit and say, well, what happened to the people that weren't Christians and then all of a sudden became Christians? What did they tell them? How did they do it? What did they say? Lo and behold, the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells us how the church, the apostles, what they believed, what they said, how they lived, what they practiced, and how they went out and told people about Jesus and how they became Christians. It is the perfect book for us to emulate and tell people how to become a Christian. Because in the epistles, there were already Christians, right? It's written to Christians. The book of Revelation is written to Christians. The book of Acts tells us what Christians did. In fact, it's the word for action. See the book of Acts. Action. What did they do? Well, let's read what they did. It goes on. Peter stands up, verse 14, he stands up with the 11 and raises his voice and begins to preach to all those who are in Jerusalem. And there was quite a bit in Jerusalem at the time. There was millions of Jews who had come from everywhere in the world. It was one of those feasts that all the Jews had to attend, male, male Jews had to attend. And they were there, and they were there to celebrate Pentecost, Feast of Weeks. And when they were celebrating Pentecost, they were celebrating the fact that God gave them the law, right? This is the celebration when Moses came down the mountain with the tablets of stone. They received the law. But now Peter stands up and he preaches, and he preaches a great sermon. We're not going to read the whole sermon because we're kind of trying to get to the, the point, right? He preaches the sermon. It's an incredible sermon, powerful. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Why? Because he just gave them the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? As they would understand it in the New Testament, God becomes a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He lives a perfect life on this earth. He fulfills the law. He goes to the cross and dies to pay a penalty for sin that we've committed, we've broken God's law, we committed that sin, and God laid on him all of our sins, and he, in turn, gives us his righteousness, his right standing with God, that if anyone would have faith and repentance toward what he did, and we'll explain what those terms are, they would become born again. They would have a new creation within them, Right, And then this is the big part. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, too, because he plays a big part in salvation. They all do. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That through faith and repentance, you can become born again. That's what he preached to them. And Peter said, you are guilty because you knew that you knew about this Jesus. You've been here. You betrayed him. The Jewish people at, uh, um, betrayed that. The religious Jews betrayed Jesus. They, they gave them over to the Gentiles. It was a uh, they were guilty of that. And Peter says, but, you know, but God knew you were going to do that. It was actually God working all these things out to bring about salvation to you. 
And when they heard that they were guilty of sin, they were guilty of what happened to Jesus. They were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and, and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Is there any hope for me? Because it seems like we're in big trouble with God. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. <laughs> right? And Peter said to them, Repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, and you will receive Jesus in your heart. No. You shall receive the gift, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So now we have some really important terms to remember here. They had to believe that what Peter said was true. And based on, you know, because what do we do now? I say, we believe everything you said. We believe that Jesus was a man of God. We believe that Jesus was sent by God. We believe Jesus of Nazareth is divine. We believe that Jesus paid this terrible price. And we're guilty of it because we sin against God. What do we do? Repent. Be baptized. Receive. And then 3,000, it says, 3,000 were baptized that day. Now it says, for the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And many other words he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, be saved from this perverse generation. Say, you know, be saved. Come out of there. Save yourself in a sense of run to the Lord. Run to, run to the message that I just, that I just uh, told you. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and they were added that day to about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing it with one another, as, as anyone ha might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. Those who were being saved. This is the birthday of the church. 3,000 are saved. How are they saved? By the message of the gospel by them responding to the gospel in repentance. And once they believed and repented, you could have said, that's it. That's all they need to do, right? You guys are good. No, it kept going, didn't it? Be baptized. Receive the Spirit. It wasn't complete. Their decision was not complete only with faith and repentance. Their decision had to be complete through the baptism and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And this is where um, we need to really see what salvation is really in the scriptures. What, what does it mean to be a Christian? Does it just mean that I repent? Not quite. Does it just mean that I believe? Not quite. And there's a lot of people that emphasize those two, believe and repent. That's true, but let's keep going. What about baptism in water? That's part of it, isn't it? I mean, Pastor, are you saying that baptism saves? Not the way 
you would think it says, because if I just emphasize baptism of water, then it's salvation by works. You have to do something. This is a response to the gospel, and the response has to be complete. The response is, I believe, I repent. Because I have faith, I'm going to be baptized. Because I have faith, I'm going to ask the Lord to send me the Holy Spirit. I'm going to receive it. Okay? Turn to Acts chapter 8 because it keeps going. This is a pattern that we see throughout the scriptures. The Samaritans, verse 14. Chapter 8, verse 14. The Samaritans. Philip had gone to Samaria. These were half Jews and half Gentiles. So they were uh, basically um, a mixture of Gentile and uh, literally a Syrian or in other, in other races and Jewish people. They were cast off from the Jewish people. The Jewish people put them off. They didn't really have a, a lot of conversation with them. Uh, the Samaritans didn't either with the Jewish people. You see that in the Gospels, Jesus dealing with the Samaritan woman, Jesus talking about the, uh, the, 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 the parable of the Samaritan. There was a division, but yet God loved them. The Gospel went to them. Verse 14 now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. They had been baptized, and they had believed on the Lord Jesus. Philip preached. They believed. And the next thing that they did, they were baptized in water. But guess what happened after that? Verse 15, Peter and John came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Here's something again. They believed. They repented, they were baptized in water, and it wasn't yet full yet, right? They had to receive the Spirit. Acts 10, we're getting closer. Just laying the foundation. This is the groundwork of it. Chapter 10, it's not the Jews, not the Samaritans, Gentiles now. You and I, unless you're Jewish. Anybody here Jewish? Okay. I'm not, but um, you're right. Gentiles, verse 35, Peter doesn't want to go. He thinks he's um, it's like a Jonah-like figure, right? doesn't want to go to the Gentiles. But God makes sure he does. He gives him a vision. Cornelius, the Gentile centurion, sees a vision. Call for Peter. Peter comes. The Lord's been telling me to come. He comes and he begins to preach. Verse 35, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. He's proclaiming this to uh, Cornelius' house. Basically, his servants, the people that are under him. You yourselves know the thing which took place through Judea. That after, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good. And all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him in healing all those who were oppressed by the devil and were witnesses of all these things. He did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day. Here's the proclamation of the gospel. And granted him, uh, and granted that he should become visible, not, all, not to all the people, but to the witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. 
that is to us who ate and drank with them after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people solemnly to testify that this is the one who had been appointed by God and judged of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through Jesus' name, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sin. He was preaching this. While he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on those who were listening to the message. And all of the Jews, all the Jewish believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. They were listening to the gospel. They weren't even baptized yet in the water, and the Spirit came. And the question is, why is their experience just slightly different? Because it's not about the formula. It's about make sure everything happens. Right? It's not about the, you know, it's not step one, step two, step three, step four. Now, faith has to come first. Faith has to come first, but the fact that people get baptized in water and then receive the Spirit or receive the Spirit and then get baptized in water, that's not important. The order that's not important is the fact that it happened. It's the fact that it happened. Okay? So you see now, Gentiles, Samaritans, Jews, all have received the Spirit all have been baptized in water, all have repented, all have believed in Jesus. Is this something that I have to do? Yes. Is this the pattern of the New Testament Christianity that we, in order to become a Christian, are these the, 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 the four steps to freedom, or whatever you want to call it, are these the things that God wants from us in response to our faith? The answer is, New Testament terms, yes. Absolutely, yes. Pastor, I never heard of this. Some people say this shocked. I just thought you had to re- believe, that you had to re- just repent. Well, because we've divorced them from each other, right, and certain denominations emphasize one over the others, then people get accustomed to hearing only one. Like baptism of water, baptismal regeneration. That is not true in itself. Baptism of water in itself, doesn't save you. It is accompanied with the other ones. After you believed, after you put your faith in Jesus, then it's part of becoming a Christian, absolutely, without a doubt. That's what's really, really important for us to remember, that um, baptism, believer's baptism, right? Believer's baptism, not baby's baptism, believer's baptism. No one in in the New Testament was ever baptized as a baby. Nobody. It was called believer's baptism. Why? They believed. They repented. They were baptized in water, and they were received the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go to the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Let's see if this is something that Jesus told them to do. Because if it was that important, it should have been in the mouth of Jesus. And the answer is absolutely yes. In fact, uh, this is for a different type of study. But if you were to go through the Gospels, you'll find all those four things that we talked about. Sprinkle through it. That's right. It's sprinkle through the whole entire Gospels. There's baptism. There's baptism of the Spirit. There is repentance. And there's belief. All throughout the Gospels. All throughout the, all throughout the Epistles. What the book of Acts does, it puts it together for us in a real event. Real life event. Not just doctrine, not just like, okay, believe this, you know, check the box. But in real life events, 
Peter goes out, preaches. People get saved. Repent, believe, baptize. Receive the Spirit. Philip goes out, preaches the gospel. What do we do? Repent, believe, be baptized, receive the Spirit. Peter goes out to the Gentiles. Um, believe, repent, baptize in water, receive the Spirit. We didn't get to Acts 19. But there's another part of Acts 19 where Paul says, you guys haven't been baptized yet? <laughs> they had believed, but they haven't been baptized yet. And they had not received the Spirit. You know, we could have been, you know, in some churches, he could have been, your guys are good, never mind, keep going. But Paul said, no, you haven't been baptized in Jesus yet? Oh, let's get down quickly. You haven't received the Spirit yet? Oh, no, 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 we have to pray for you, right? It's as if the birth was not complete. The birth was not complete. Now, I've been in, in maternity ward. I have five kids. I've been through all their birth. There's things that happen to babies. There's things that happen to babies that in their birth that it's, it's not good. Sometimes a bad birth affects them for a long time. But a good birth, if there's things that happen in that birth, oh, man, they're ready to grow. And the important thing is, is are they alive? Right? Are they alive? When I got the babies, counted their fingers, counted their toes. <laughs> You know, the first thing I did, this is, this is no way thinking that we're some spiritual, hyper-spiritual people. All my kids, five of them, first thing they heard, they were born, they gave them to me, I whispered in their ear, Jesus is Lord. It's the first thing they ever heard in this world. Why? I'm, amen. I'm some hyper-spiritual person? No. I just wanted them to know. First thing they hear, and I hope that carries them for the rest of their lives. They're all here today, by the way, so praise the Lord. It might have worked. I don't know. Um, I always tell the joke that, you know, when my kids get older and they all become teenagers, I have to step down from ministry because the Bible says a pastor has to have control of his own house. I don't know what's going to happen when they become teenagers. So I got a few years. Um, what was their birth like? What are they alive? And that's what um, encouragement to you guys who witness and share and lead others to Christ are they alive? In order for them to be alive, they need those four things. They need those four things. And it's not just me telling you, oh, Pastor, that's your point of view. It's like, that's the point of view of Peter and Paul and John in the book of Acts. That's what they did. When they met somebody that says, have you believed? Yep. Have you received? Nope. Let's receive. Right? And notice, receive who? Holy Spirit. Quite interesting, huh? They never told anybody to receive Jesus. What did they say about Jesus? Believe in him. Believe in him. Once you believe in him, receive the Spirit. You notice that? All the passages I read to you, nobody said, open your heart, close your eyes, receive Jesus into your heart. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying you didn't see that. You didn't hear that. Right? You read it with me. Hope you did. Um, what did they say? No, you have to repent. You have to believe. You have to be baptized, and you have to receive who? The Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 28, uh, verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Go and tell them about the gospel. Go and tell them about me. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And with you even to the end of the age. Turn to the book of Acts. Actually, um, you read the book of Acts. Yeah, Acts chapter 1. This is the Great Commission, but from the book of Acts perspective. Verse 5. John baptized you with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, but you shall receive power of the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. Then you'll be my witnesses. There's this, always this emphasis of baptize, preach, help them understand repentance, right? And receive the Holy Spirit. There's always that aspect, even in the Great Commission. By the way, you find it in the Gospels, you find it in, in the Epistles. So those are the four important things that we need to address. In order for somebody to become a Christian, they need to have faith. They need to have faith in the gospel. They need to have faith in what Jesus has done for them. And this is a very important thing because out of all those four things that we talked about, repentance, belief, baptism, and receiving the Holy Spirit, faith or believing is the most important one because you cannot repent unless you believe. You cannot be baptized in water unless you believe. Who would do that? Unless you believed. You cannot receive the Spirit unless you believe. The atoning work of Jesus. Remember I told you what the gospel is. His death on the cross. His, fulfill, his, his payment of, for our sins. His complete atonement for us. Right? His death, his burial, his resurrection has been accomplished. Not with my help. He did it. It's very important because I don't want anybody to walk away and say, well, you're teaching us that we had to work for it. No, he has paid for it. He has absolutely, on his own, atoned for our sins. I can't add to it. I cannot add to the work of Jesus. What he did for me on the cross by laying his own life, even though he committed no sin, and took our sins upon his own body on the tree and paid for it by his own blood, and then rose from the dead three days later after being buried and, and rising from the dead to justify us before God. It's something that no man can do. It's something you and I cannot earn, something you and I cannot deserve. It is simply what the Bible calls the grace of God. What is the grace of God? It's been so maligned. It's been so misinterpreted. The word grace, the word charis. My daughter's name, Karis. It is a gift. It is translated gift. It is translated kindness. It is translated favor. It is translated God's unmerited favor toward you. Without you doing anything for him, without you even earning anything or working your way for anything, he simply extends his grace and by the by the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead, the fact that he paid for our sins, he has reconciled us to the Father by his death and resurrection. That is a free gift. That is a free gift. He's done it. He paid it. He did it. He suffered and died for you, for me, so that you can hear the truth, hear what he's done for you, and this is the part that demands a response. It demands for you to respond to that. 
And you could do it in two ways. You can reject it, or you can move forward in it and believe. And this is where faith comes in, right? It's like being entitled to an inheritance. You have an inheritance. You're entitled to this. But in order for you to have it, you need to act on it. You need to receive it. You need to appropriate it to yourself. How many words can I say? Does that that make sense? You need to apply it to yourself. Jesus paid for sin. Jesus paid for your sin. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you didn't know him, you didn't believe in him, you didn't trust him, you didn't care less, you used him as a foul word, his name was on your lips, blaspheming him, right? You, he still died for you. That's great as his love. When you heard the truth, you said, well, Jesus died for me, that's great, I'm good. No, my friend, that's not how it works. The gospel now demands for you to do something about it. And it demands for you to do those four things that we just talked about. Do you realize that all those four things I talked about, you have to believe, you have to repent, you have to be baptized in water, you have to receive the Spirit. Those are all imperative Greek tenses in the Bible. It was written in Greek in the New Testament originally. They are commands. It should be read like this. Sometimes we just read it in a nice English, but it should command, how would you say it? You need to repent. You need to believe. You need to be baptized in water. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. It's a command, not an option, not a suggestion. It is something that God demands of us. He demands all men to repent. He commands all men to repent. He commands all men to believe. And Peter says, be baptized, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense to everybody? Don't want to leave anybody behind. I don't want to... I know we can't take questions just off the, off the cuff, but maybe after the service. Let's look at this one, because we're only going to look at two things today. Oh, thank God. Right? Two things today. We're only going to look out of the four, repentance and faith. So we begin. And then next week, baptism of water and receiving the Holy Spirit. Ooh, because that's the controversial one. They're the onesers and the twisers. If you didn't get that, okay, never mind. I won't tend to explain. If you know what I mean, it's it's a, sort of an inside joke. That's one of those churchianity jokes. We'll explain it next week. Great. In the book of Acts, there are three types of preaching. Three types of preaching. I read you one of them. There is preaching to preaching the gospel. It's called charisma. Preaching the gospel. There is homily. It's a different type of preaching. It means an encouragement, an exhortation. And then there is teaching doctrine, teaching the scriptures, teaching what the Bible says, teaching what Jesus said. Right? There are three types in the, in the book of Acts. We just read one of them. Peter stands up, people that don't know the Lord, and he tells them what the gospel is. He tells them what Jesus has done for them. He tells them what they need to do in response to that. Kerygma. Later on in the book of Acts, we see the apostles encouraging Christians and telling them, keep living the Christian life. Keep following Jesus. Keep dying to yourself. Keep picking up your cross. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep asking for the Holy Spirit. Encouragement. And then there's the Daskins, meaning doctrine, 
when they began to really lay down specifically justification, sanctification, what does those terms mean? What exactly, did, how did Jesus do? What did he do on the cross for us? These are doctrinal things that were teachings that were very specifically to our faith. They did all that. Those are the three that we find. And here is the first one. Peter says, repent, not regret, not remorse. What are the difference between regret and remorse and repentance? Because they're not the same and people confuse them, right? Regret. I regret a lot of things. I do. I regret a lot of things. Um, I regret things that I did. I regret things that I shouldn't have done. Um, those are feelings about my own decision. Um, I regret those things, but it's not repentance. Cain regretted what he did, but he never made things right. What did he regret? The punishment. Ah, oh, such a great punishment against me. Can't stand it. That's what Cain said. He never said, man, I can't believe I Lord, I'm so sorry. This is what I done. No, he said, I regret I got punished by that. And a lot of people regret things that are not repentance. They regret they did a crime. They regret they did this. They regret they did that. Feelings about it, but decisions you made in life. But that's not repentance. Uh, people remorse. They remorse things. Ah, oh, man, I can't believe it. Right? It's remorse. Uh, what they've done to others. I met people that um, they lived a very central lifestyle. They, they, they were very promiscuous. And then they passed on uh, STDs to others and even to their own children. And they feel remorse. But they're not repented of what they did to God. That's repentance. What you did to God, right? Repentance has to do what you've done to the Lord. What I did to the Lord. Remember the prodigal son? When did he come to his senses? When he says, when I, I have sinned against heaven, I have sinned against God, that's when things begin to change. When you begin to think like, I have hurt God, I have sinned against God, I have angered God, I have brought the judgment of God well-deserved upon me, I brought it upon myself, I need God's mercy. That is what Paul calls godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. It's not remorse. It's not regret. It's repentance. I did this to God. I did this to God. I deserve his wrath, his punishment, his judgment, but I'm calling on his mercy so I can have a second chance. Repentance, right? And, it, and repentance is quite interesting. When you lead somebody to Christ, you have to make this very clear about repentance. If you're, if you're coming to Christ, this is very, very important. The word Metanoia. What does that mean? It literally means a change of mind, but it's more than just a change of mind because people just leave it as a change of mind. But it begins with a change of mind. You begin to think differently. You begin to think differently, and you know what thinks, the first thing that you change when you think differently? God is better than me, and I am worse than I thought. God is better than I thought, and I am worse than I thought. That is the beginning of a changed mind. See, because you and I know, if we admit it, before you became a Christian, you didn't think God was that good. I didn't. Pastor, you're such a terrible man. No, you and I say the same thing. If I were God, 
Never would have done that. How can a loving God do that? Power God, don't let those things happen. Right? We think God is unfair, unjust, unrighteous, because he lets those things happen. And that was our state of mind before we came to the Lord. We, God is bad. We're not so bad. We're actually pretty good, because if I were God, I actually would have done it like this. Just ask me what I would do if I were God. Right? That's the mentality. That's what we think before we come to know the Lord. But now we think twice about it. We think differently about it, right? Your sins are bad before the Lord, right? And your good deeds won't get you into heaven either. It's a big change of mind. Your sins are bad. Yes, they are before God. Absolutely. The holiness of God in that light penetrating your sins. But also your good deeds. You can't even appeal to your good deeds to get you there. And this is what the book of Isaiah and the book of Philippians talk about, that our righteousness, that our righteousness on our best day and best behavior on our own are filthy rags. And can I be a little crude? Human excrement. Oh, pastor, how can you say that in a service? I'm just quoting the Bible. Paul says, your best day is like emptying your bowels. Emptying your bowels. And you look down on what's in there, and you said, God, I offer this to you. Nobody would ever think that way. Gross, pastor, we're going to eat lunch. But that's what the Bible says we do when we offer our best righteousness to God. God, look what I did. You owe me. It's like a little boy. My little boy, you know, my son's 10, but he'll be embarrassed if I told you. You know, it's like he comes, tells me, Dad. Excited. What'd you do? Come over. Run. What'd you do? Look at there. Oh, look what I did. Oh, I did it. Because we're teaching potty training. I said, thanks, son. Did not want to see that, but we, you did what we told you to do. That's good. Imagine, God, look what I done for you. And for the ladies, I don't want to be crude. I want to move on from this because I don't want to get an email. Isaiah tells us that it's like a menstrual rag that you bring before God. God, look what I've done. Isn't it great? And God is not impressed by either. And the Old Testament and the New Testament uses those vivid pictures so you'll never forget them. Not me who came up with them, but it's the Holy Spirit. So you'll never forget that our righteousness your good deeds, your best day. It's not like to the Lord. Man, you're utterly and desolate, lost, unless he extends his hand of mercy and rescues us from ourselves, right? But this is what repentance does. Repentance, I'm sorry, forgiveness demands repentance. It demands a change. It demands a confession. If you confess with your mouth, right? Repent, is, it needs a confession of sin. Sometimes, you know, when we lead people to the Lord, we lead people to Christ. You know, it's very, very careful about this because I, what are you repented of? My sin, my sins. Which one? You know, all of them. Be more specific, please. Why is that important? Because they need to know that that sin is what they deserve judgment. That sin is what keeps them from God. 
and they need to own it in a sense. They need to know that that's what keeps them from God. There's more. There's a whole list of them. <laughs> but what is that sin? It usually bothers them, right? The conviction of the Spirit has come and is bothering them. I'm living with my boyfriend. I'm living with my girlfriend. I'm doing this. Whatever. Okay. That needs to be confessed. That needs to be homo legeo. Greek word, homo legeo. This is not a Greek class, sorry. Um, homo, same. Legeo, say. Say the same thing that God says about that sin. Simple, right? Say the same thing that God says about that sin. Does God say that's a sin? Yep. God, you said that's a sin. I'm sorry. I'm going to turn around. Because it does involve action. It does involve action. Literally, turn from sin to God. It's repentance. See, it involves more than a change of mind. It involves a change of behavior. It involves a change of behavior. Um, it, it takes thoughts, words, and actions for repentance to be a godly sorrow. My thoughts need to be different. I need to confess that that is a sin, and I need to, by behavior and action, turn from that. You know how John the Baptist put it? He said, produce fruit worthy of repentance. What did he say to do? Now, this is, in a way, it's comical, but in a way, it's sobering. He says, if you have too many clothes, hello, give them away. That's what he said. If you're fiddling the books on your 1040 or whatever it is that you do now, I don't even know what they're called, on your taxes, 1040 easy, 1055, whatever it is now, I don't know, 1099, 1099, I don't know. Don't fiddle the books, right? And don't use your authority that you have in your workplace or in wherever you are as a place to bully people. And one more, be content with how much you make. Ooh. Put that out there. The next uh, negotiation for unions, right? Be content with your wages. Can you imagine bringing somebody to repentance? And then you bring them to the, okay, baptism. You're going to baptize somebody. Okay, what are you repenting of? All this, okay. Repent of your wanting higher wages. (laughs) That's what John was saying. Be content with your wages. Dealing with greed, right? Dealing with the greed. And Paul makes that very clear. uh, John the Baptist makes that very clear that if they did that, that was a fruit of repentance, that they were different, that they were changing, that their behavior was different than one day before they came in. Paul says in Acts 26, and listen to this, when he was in trial, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, God sent me. I had a vision of Jesus. I wasn't disobedient to what he told me. I went to preach repentance to the Gentiles that they should convert to God and prove repentance by their actions. Prove repentance by their actions. Brothers and sisters, do we have actions that prove that we repented? Is that a genuine question? Do you and I have fruit, evidence, action? that prove that we have repented. By the grace of God, it should. It it needs to be there. That means you stop fornicating. You stop doing drugs. You stop committing adultery. You stop cheating on, uh, on, cheating anywhere, but on your taxes, on your, whatever it is that, you stop that. You stop, you're different. Your behavior changed. Why? Because you have faith, you believed, you repented. 
And in some cases, people have to cast aside different things. Did you realize that in the book of Acts, chapter 19, in the book of Ephesus, this is quite a story. I'm sorry, in the, in the city of Ephesus, people that were into witchcraft, people that were into heavy demonic occult stuff, had to come and turn their books in and burn them for millions of dollars. Actually, the translations, they had a lot of money, millions of dollars equivalent to today that they had to burn because they had to renounce what they were in the occult. And I've seen believers that were Freemasons. I've seen believers that were into Santeria. I've seen believers that were into all kinds of witchcraft and occult practices that they had to renounce, get rid of that stuff which is a lot more intense than maybe you and I would be involved in. But they, they were, in the book of Acts, it tells us that they did that, right? Repentance has to be practical. What I mean by practical is that it has to be a, uh, practical, meaning that there's some things that they have to understand in the seriousness of it. Repentance is a serious matter. Repentance is a serious thing. And, I, and, and when I share with people, I say, this, is, this is the critical part. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. My friend, my brother, my sister, you need to fear God in this. You realize without repentance, without repentance, we would perish. Without repentance, we would perish. John 3.36 says, he who believes in the Son has life. Praise the Lord. He who does not obey the Son does not have life. John 3. Our favorite, one of our favorite chapters, too, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. There's that word perish again. The word perish is the same word as we have in our English idea of perishable, something that is no longer usable, something that's no longer good, should not perish, something that is no, no good use for man, no good use for God, perishable, that will not perish, but have come, to, uh, have come to salvation, have eternal life, right? We, without Christ, we're without hope. Without the gospel, we're without saving. But once the gospel comes and we turn to him, then we need to respond in repentance. If we don't, then the Bible says, you will all likewise perish. And he was talking about hell. He was talking about that in hell, everybody in there is no good anymore. There's no good. It's no good use anymore. They have perished. Um, like I said, specific sin. Actions of repentance. I'm going to move on to, because I'm running out of time, and Roy's going to come up and lead us into this, but this is an important thing. Faith. Faith. When we come to the Christ, when we come to salvation, we have repentance toward God. Acts 20. Repentance toward God. We just talked about repentance. Here's faith. And faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. And it's very critical to understand it this way. It's not faith that Jesus exists. It's not faith that. It's faith in. Notice the difference, right? It's not faith that. It's faith in. What's the difference? Why those little words are so important? Because if I believe that Jesus existed, that Jesus died that Jesus rose from the dead. If I believe that he did that, that's not faith, my friend. I have to believe in. What's the difference? Well, first of all, it has to be based on facts. What is the fact that our faith is built on? 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. I came and give to you what the Lord has given to me, Paul said. That Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. That is a fact in history. You realize, my friend, nobody can ever change that fact. You and I cannot change what happened 2,000 years ago. The devil cannot change it. Man cannot change it. Nobody can change what Jesus has done for you and for me. It is in history. It is rock solid. It will never change. It is absolutely a factual statement, historically, biblically, archaeological. You and I have to deal with it. It happened. Now, what happened there and how you interpret that, that is our choice. Was it just a man that got caught up in everything and you know, was caught up in the game and got too hot for him and he died? The Romans got to him? Some people think that way. Was it just some religious zealot that wanted to show that, oh, man, it would be really cool to, to really show what sacrifice is like? No. My friend, the Bible says, and this is where the faith comes in, that this was God in human form, the God who created you, gave you your breath, was on that cross. Amen. And you can't change it. Nobody can change it. And that reassures you today, the fact that if your faith is in this, is in facts, then this is where our faith needs to start. On facts, not feelings. It is a historical event that Jesus did this for us. Faith is also personal. If you were the only person that ever sinned, but you're not, but if you were, Jesus would have done everything just for you just for me. That's what the Bible says. It's a personal Savior. And because it's a personal Savior, it means it's a personal relationship. It's a person that you trust. It's a person that you know. It's a person that you talk to. It's a person that you are going on with in a relationship, right? Not just historical, but I can give you one thing. Historical facts are great, but you know, you realize the Bible says that even the devil knows that those things are true that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus rose from the dead. He knows that those things are true. But he doesn't have a personal relationship with him. That's faith. It's personal, right? It's trusting in a person. And it has to be verbal. It has to be verbal. What do you mean by verbal? In a relationship with your wife, you talk to her. She talks to you, I hope. More more of that, maybe another time, but... You talk to her. You talk to him. And then you talk about him. You talk to Jesus, and then you talk about him to other people. That's where faith is. Faith is verbal. You talk to Jesus, and you talk about him to other people. Faith. I know him. I talk to him. I know him. I will tell others about him. It involves that. But also our faith is practical. What do I mean by practical? Faith without action is dead. Faith without action is dead. James chapter 2, I like the word action because that's the word that uh, it uses. It's translated words, but it gets people confused. Sometimes it's talking about actions of faith. Actions of faith. What has happened is that we have confused the idea of works as something you have to work for, but it's actually what comes out of faith is action. What is our action? Paul said we're justified by faith. James says faith without action is dead. They're talking about the same idea. It's a faith that justifies us, 
but is also a faith that is practical, that is put into action. Uh, if you believe in somebody, you will show it. I'll give you one example. I'm running out of time. Sorry, Roy. Houdini. Everybody who Houdini was? Okay. Interesting guy. Goes across Niagara Falls on a wheelbarrow. Gets to the other side. Yay, Houdini, you're awesome. You're the best, man. I can't, nobody can do this but you. And he says, yes, I did it. You guys believe I can do it? Yep. We saw you do it. Great. Uh, do you guys think I can do it again? Yeah, people are getting excited. He's on the other side, right? Eh? And he says, all right, fine. You guys believe I can do this? You get in the wheelbarrow with me. And then we'll go across. How many people took him up on that offer? Not many. Did people believe he could do it? Sort of, right? What did they have to do to prove that he really could do it? Get in it with them. Exactly. Not many people did. Not many people could. Right? You have to trust him. You have to get in with him. Do you believe Jesus? Yes. To get in with him. Walk with him. That proves you have faith. Otherwise, it's just words. Otherwise, it's just what the devil has, a knowledge. He has faith that, but not faith in, right? It's like a surgeon. You ever, you ever, take, you ever had bad surgery, like a really like, intense surgery? I know Joel did, right? And you had to sign the paperwork, right? Sign the paperwork. You don't even know who this guy is, right? I never met him. never known his family, you know? My wife had a couple of surgeries. And a sign, yep. I'm putting my life in this guy's hand. I'm going to sleep, and he could do whatever he's going to do. Hopefully he does the right thing. Is that faith? Is that tremendous trust? I mean, you trust a surgeon that you never met. That is trust. That is practical faith, right? When, I could ask you this, when was the last time you trusted in Jesus? Oh, pastor, 20 years ago, I came to know the Lord. No, 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 no. When was the last time you trusted Jesus? Yeah. When was the last time there was a risk involved? See, that, that's, that's, that's faith, right? Where there's a risk where if he doesn't come through, you're flat on your face. If he doesn't make it through, he doesn't get you through this, you are not going to make it. My friend, that's faith. It was never to be an agreement that Jesus did this, that Jesus is that. It was supposed to be a living relationship where you trust him, and if he doesn't come through, man, he, we're going to fall on our face. But it's a real relationship. It's a true relationship. Uh, I'm done with this one. Faith is continual. It goes on. And I have lots of verses, and I wish I had the time. It goes on. All the scriptures about faith in the New Testament, especially in the book of John, are continual, meaning that it's the word believing, right? It's the word believing, not just belief, believe in, believing. And in the, in the, in the, in the English, we have to have an, uh, uh, add a couple of words to understand what it means. Going on or goes on, right? a faith that goes on. Romans chapter 1 tells us that we are Justified by faith, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the power of God, according to uh, the power of God to salvation for those who believe. And it, gets, it says the just shall live by faith, and we're going to live from faith to faith. It begins with faith, it ends with faith, it goes on with faith. It's a faith that goes on believing. 
It's never a faith that is static, right? It's a faith that keeps asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, is what the scripture says. Keep asking the Lord. Um, Paul said, whenever Paul talked about his faith, he never went back to what happened on the road to Damascus. Every time Paul talked about his faith, he said, the, the life that I live now, I live by faith. Now take a look, that's different. If somebody will ask you, hey man, show me your faith. You know, 20 years ago, I gave my heart to the Lord in this conference or this thing. Paul never said that. He said, the life I live now, today, that's the faith. That's the faith that counts. That's the faith that goes on. That's the faith that's here today. That's the faith that won't be shipwrecked. That's the faith that won't leave. That's the faith that won't, uh, um, what's the other word that that they use? Um, Shipwrecked, leave, abandon. That's a faith that doesn't go that way. It's a faith that continues. It's a faith that doesn't depart from the true faith in God. So my friends, as I finish with this, I want to go back to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42, because in it we see what a New Testament Christian church is to be like, what a New Testament believers are to be like. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, in the breaking of bread into prayer. If we have foundation as a Christian that we just talked about, we only looked at two, repentance, faith. We'll look at baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit next week. But this gives you a foundation as a Christian, as a church. What are we to do? Continually devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. The word of God. What does it say? Let's continually devote ourselves to that. Let's continually devote ourselves to fellowship with one another. Fellowship of believers. Continually to the breaking of bread. That is not just eating, but it's the Lord's table, which Roy is going to come up and, and share with us. The Lord's table. And to prayer. That's how believers live. And it goes on that they were continually doing this. From house to house, meeting together, fellowshiping, encouraging together, growing together, witnessing together, seeing other people saved, bringing other people into the fellowship. And the Lord was adding to them as many as were being saved. I hope this gives us an understanding of what New Testament faith looks like. How to become a Christian according to the New Testament. Believe, have faith in what Jesus has done. Repent. Be baptized in water. Receive the Holy Spirit. Those four are are all important. They play a role in our salvation, an important role in our salvation. And everyone in the New Testament who became a Christian had those four. No doubt, had those four. And so I pray that today, If anyone here has not believed on the Lord, has not repented of their sin, has not trusted in Jesus, not believing that Jesus is this or that Jesus did that, but believing in him in a personal way, in a relationship way, never been baptized in water, have never received the Holy Spirit, then the scripture says, my friend, what are you waiting for? What can God do more than what he's done? What can he do? 
more than what he's done. He's done it all. He's paid it all. I guess he was saying the proverbial language that we have in our, in our country today. The ball is on your court. He's offering it to you, an inheritance unbelievable, unreal. You would never imagine in a million years inheritance that can be appropriated to you. The inheritance of the saints, Paul said, it's been given to us if we act on in faith and apply it to our lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you today for your word. We pray, Lord God, that you help us and understand your word and apply it to our lives, Lord. Thank you for the understanding of faith and repentance. Thank you for the understanding that this is what a New Testament Christian is to be like. Repentance and faith. Repentance toward God, faith in Jesus. I ask you, Lord God, that next week as we continue, we will see the other aspects of baptismal water and receiving the Holy Spirit. We praise you, Lord, for today. In Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.